0: Hi guys, before we get started with this week's episode We just have a little bit of news for you
1: Oh yes We do, the news is that we now have a dedicated section On the official Manchester United app Just for our podcast Mays had a go on it Loving it? Yes,
0: loving it. We know what you're thinking. Why should I move my favourite podcast app all the way over to a new app? Well, two reasons. Reason one is that you will get the podcast a whole 24 hours earlier. I think that's a really good reason. That's 24 hours earlier than everywhere else. And you can be first in line to hear every new episode.
1: Yeah, and reason number two is it allows us to bring you so much more than just the episode. So if we talk about goals, you'll be able to see the goals within the app and you'll also see associated articles and something a lot of people have requested. You'll be able to watch more episodes of the podcast all in one place which to me seems sensational
0: Mm -hmm. but if you're not convinced and want to stay where you are that's fine too we'll still bring you our pods right here every week as usual right here right now
2: but also if you're on the app you won't have to sit through us telling you all this every
1: time that's good isn't it yeah because this is going to get repeated if you're listening on something else but not on the app Uh, anyway that's it the official Manchester United app now has a podcast section loads going on there check it out now on with this episode download the app Goals, Soshara. It's a good save, but Chaplin's going to score. And Martin will be disappointed he didn't hold on to it. And a goal against the balance of the match. Michael Martin, who's had precious little to do, couldn't hold the shot. And Chaplin was there.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans.
2: Amazing. Just uh, finished off a yawn there. <laughs> tired, tired.
0: And you will have noticed, there's no, and I'm Sam Homewood. Yes. Sam is not with us today, unfortunately. He couldn't make it.
2: So this should be a really good podcast.
0: And Maisie has been really ill yesterday, oh, but do you know what?
2: Bell's got a flu. He's
0: made it. He's made it. it. feels like
2: my head's going to explode. But you know, I'm here because... But he's done
0: tests. Yes, yes, numerous yes. Numerous tests, I, I, just I mean, to confirm.
2: Tash, yeah, but I couldn't miss this one. My old mucker, Lou Chadwick.
0: Yeah, you go back a long way.
2: We do, yeah. Uh, I think first going to do Shady probably about 96, 97 when he came in, in the youth, uh, as a young whipper snapper, young flying centre forward at the time, come winger. Mm-hmm. Great lad, funny. I know this will be funny. I guarantee it'll be funny.
0: You do always say that whenever you mention him.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I always refer to the Burnley bus with his uh, two bottles of Wicked.
0: Yeah, you've told that story quite a few times and mentioned his clothing quite a few times.
2: Well, his gear's have not changed. Yeah, he's always uh, probably one of the worst Must dressers. have been that like
0: year group, because you always say that to John O'Shea too.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I think they must have, I don't know, modelled himself on Pally, something like that. But Who? Yeah.
0: Oh, Pally? Pally. Is it Pally.
2: Pally? yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But no, great lad.
0: And Did had a great spend, career after Manchester absolutely,
2: United. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, numerous club clubs. And um,
0: One of which you did come across each other as well
2: At Burnley, yeah. yeah I took him under my wing there I was I was club captain there I have a beggar's
0: belief that you took someone under your wing In what terms? I just
2: looked after him, you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah. a- any,
2: any asshole, I looked after him As you do, senior pro Young pop coming in, look after him
0: Well we've wanted to get Luke on the podcast For quite a while, so Here he is
2: The Chad Master General, Luke Chadwick
0: Luke Chadwick, welcome to the Manchester United podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: A bit of a podcast veteran. Is that true?
1: I've been on a I've few I've been to be looking fair. through a few
0: podcasts. <laughs> I searched in Luke Chadwick and I was like, oh, Luke's done quite a few podcasts, but not ours.
1: No, no, save the best two last. Save It'll the be the best last one last. I'll do, I reckon.
0: But I've really ing- enjoyed listening to, to the other ones in the stories. But listen, David May wasn't involved in those.
1: No, exactly.
0: Not the same as that. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Very good. well indeed.
0: You've come branded today in your football factory clothing. Yeah, that's what you're doing now, isn't
1: it? Yeah, football fun factory. I'm a director of the the company. We're trying to um, direct her these days, Maisie. So, that you know, <laughs> So, we're just trying to grow the company. You know, a good opportunity for some free marketing. So, I'll put it yeah, on for today. Course. Just for today.
2: <laughs> you do know this is just a podcast and not a TV show. So, Oh yeah, so I'll shoot off Yeah, them. You might as
1: well just wear <laughs> yeah, yeah. your normal minging gear. you have been all right, Bob. This is my best gear at the same time as well, so it worked well.
0: It's very difficult to have a conversation with Maisie talking about you when he doesn't mention your gear. Is this something that goes back a long time between you two?
2: Well, and I can't really remember him having decent gear. So,
1: oh, I thought you just said that about everyone. I think it was just me. I thought you just said that about everyone. <laughs>
0: No, but look, tell us what your day-to-day job is within the company.
1: Yeah, so it's a a coaching organisation around sort of giving children fun experiences in football. Because obviously there's a lot of pressure on it these days in terms of what football is, even from the youngest ages. So what we're trying to do is use football as as a vehicle to develop positive life skills just as much as football skills and more than anything else make football fun. So at them youngest ages, it's our coach's responsibility to help children fall in love with a game and sort of when they're an old bugger like me, they still they still love football because of them early experiences that are so obviously important for children growing up.
0: So important in that grassroots How level. many of those
1: kids have you shown videos
2: of yourself then playing football?
1: No, we want them to fall in love with a game. <laughs> right. So I've not, not really? shown them any videos of myself playing football. No, plenty of you though, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I know your son plays football as well, quite a high level.
1: Yes, yeah, so both my kids play for Cambridge. They're involved in the um, academy there. My eldest, he's a goalkeeper, so I don't know where he got that from. And the youngest is a, a centre-half, so it worries me a bit with both of them, really, where they got the ability to play for, especially with a centre-half sat next to me. I <laughs> spent a lot of time <laughs> in my youth. <laughs> 16 years. Hmm. And
0: is a lot of your time, I suppose, spent, Going around the country, watching them too. Yeah,
1: yeah obviously it's a massive commitment for, obviously for me and my wife to drive them about. They're getting older now, one's 18 and one's 16, so hopefully they'll move out soon and we won't have to drive them about as much, but <laughs> obviously there's nothing better than watching mm-hmm. your kids do something that they love doing, mm-hmm. which has been obviously fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, I know you and Maisie go back quite a long time. Oof. You yes. two would have met, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but what year would that have been then?
1: So I don't know if Maisie remembers this but when I first signed for the club as a YTS player uh, that would have been 1997 I was actually your boot boy Was you? Yeah, you and Pally. I was in charge of cleaning Yes, yeah, you was, boots. yeah. I remember that now. I'll never forget it because I didn't get much of a Christmas tip off you, last for sure. because you were crap. <laughs> I was, to be fair. Yeah. I remember Pally taking me outside one day and saying, look, you got to do it. I said, I'm coming every morning my boots aren't clean. I was I was a useless boot boy and probably didn't deserve. I think you give me 20 quid though, so it... Uh, that's all right. That, what was that in quid? comparison to others though? I think others were getting hundreds, 150, 200. That's, but, sh-
0: that's absolutely shocking. I that
1: was between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: We had a discussion. That was it. Took it out of the players' pool.
0: <laughs> so what year would that have been then? Oh, that, that was your YTS, did you say? Yeah, so I would have started
1: yeah. my first year when I left school. So that would have been 1997 would have been the, the start of my scholarship as it, mm-hmm. as it is now. Mm-hmm. How did
2: that story begin with United?
1: So it started probably when I was 14 years old. I was from down in Cambridge. I was playing yeah. for like the local schools team, Cambridge schools every Saturday and... Believe it or not, I was banging in goals left, right, and centre, and the sort of lot of teams were interested in me. I signed for Arsenal. Then ended up getting told a Manchester United scout was coming. A guy called Ray Medwell, God rest his soul, he's, he's died now, but he was like he was a huge influence in my my career. And he watched me play. We played Essex boys. We lost six one. I scored the one, and obviously saw something he liked. And then from that point on, I was invited up to to Manchester in a a school holiday, came up, stayed in the Castlefield Hotel t- during, I think it was a February or half term, and then from the back of that was asked to, to sign for the club. So but, welcome to Arsenal then. So it caused a bit of a stir. The, back then it was completely different how it sort of worked. I was signed on a... Just a centre of excellence for them, and they weren't the same now as when you sort of had to pay big money to get a player. So it upset Arsenal a bit, and Arsenal was a brilliant football club. But I never, I never really enjoyed going there. I used to have to go training once a week on a Wednesday night, and then play for them on a Sunday morning, and it, it was a case of either getting the train to Highbury where we trained, there was like an indoor area there, or my mum or dad had drive me up, and I just didn't really enjoy it a couple of times I used to feign a bit of a tummy ache to mum so I didn't have to go but the second I went up to United and the reason I didn't enjoy I was such a sort of a quiet shy timid little boy like so my mum always said I'm socially inept back then maybe a little bit still now but I used to I didn't like mixing with other people I was just comfortable in my own sort of peer group playing with my mates and that sort of thing but when I come up to Man United and I was like United was a team I followed and they would have like the team back then it was a team that all the young kids went to and when the second I went up there I just fell in love with the place how you were treated it was incredible really like everyone seemed so happy to see you there everyone was so happy to be there the enthusiasm sort of what the whole environment was was incredible and from the second I got up there to spend that week when I was desperate to do well enough that the club had then signed me on a on a schoolboy form. So it was um, like a inc- wonderful experience coming here as a schoolboy.
0: Where did your love of football originate from then?
1: So, the, my love of football, when I was like little, I used to play in my garden when I was four, five, six, and running around my brother, and my dad. When I really fell in love with it, it was probably about the age of six or seven when me dad took me to a game at the Abbey Stadium to watch Cambridge United play and just being so close to the action the smell of the turf hearing the crowd shouting it was like from then it was a drug and I was just addicted to the game I couldn't get enough of it I was playing all the time I was always nagging my parents to take me back to Cambridge and that's probably where the real love affair sort of began yeah yeah definitely is that
0: the team that your dad had followed
1: not, so my dad's actually from Berry, and he moved oh, right. back. there. So he was a Berry fan, but Cambridge was just the local club, really. So just it was a, the closest one to go to. And then it sort of coincided with Cambridge starting to do really well. And then it, with them winning every week, it sort of fell in love with football and with Cambridge United at the same time, really.
2: Was you always the best in your team? Or was the other lads around you similar standard or did you just shine?
1: When, when I first started playing, when I started playing, I was eight years old playing for an under nine team. And what I was, was freakishly fast yeah. compared to my peers and the people I grew up with. So back then, I'm sure you were the same. Eight, nine years old, we were playing on an 11 a side pitch <laughs> with full size goals. And I used to be the striker, stand up front. The team used to whack the ball, bounce over the top of the defence, and I'd just chase after it. Little goalkeeper wouldn't come out, stand his line, just dribble <laughs> it right up to him and tap it in. And it was probably the. The fact that I was so fast and I scored so many goals that gave me the belief and the confidence yeah, yeah. to then practice more and do more than everyone else. So it got to a point where I was in like the South Cambridge little village where I, it's not a really a, a hotbed of gifted football players. So yeah. I was like a long way ahead of people in my area, which was for me as a person was good for me, I think, because it gave me so much confidence to yeah, then yeah. carry on developing. mm mm-hmm.
2: Who were the teams when you who were the players in that squad, can you remember? As a schoolboy or maybe for sheer apprentice?
1: So it would have been I remember very well coming up here the day that I signed schoolboys them to come to Old Trafford and we went in my f- whole family come up, we went in the gaffer's office before the game to sign the forms, got pitches with him and um, we, Eric Cantona, my mum was a massive <laughs> Eric Cantona <laughs> a fan and she got to meet him so she was buzzing so it would have been that day Terry Cook made his debut against Bolton and I think he scored, set a couple up right. and then they brought us down, me down to the dressing room after the game and I was in Old Trafford dressing room with the first team players like scared out my wits, just stood there in the corner and it was like a, like an incredible experience but it would have been yourself would have been there or it yeah. might have been just after you signed actually from Blackburn it would have been Roy King would have been there I think that obviously Dennis Irwin Mark Hugh it was a like an incredible squad of players and the, cl- the class of 92 coming through which as a young player and seeing that and seeing them given their opportunity made you think Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you got a chance.
0: I know you touched on it just a little bit, but what was the difference between going down to Arsenal and not enjoying that experience at all and coming to Manchester United and thinking, this is the right place for me?
1: It was just how welcome I was made to feel. Like I come up and I was remember sitting on the train It the first time I'd ever got the train on my own and I was like a fish out of water coming from the little tiny village where I lived, training to Piccadilly, then a minibus picking us up there. and I, It was just, you just made to feel so welcome nothing to do with football or the coaching you again. it was just how you were treated as a as a human being and I was never treated badly at Arsenal or yeah. anything like that but it was just you were just there to play football it felt this felt like something bigger like you were part of something incredible.
0: And I suppose as you said Luke as well when you do see the class of 92 coming through the young lads you probably think this is the right place for me I can really achieve here.
1: Yeah, and like, and you feel part of it because like, you, even if you were there and you see the young players and obviously you're getting coached by the coaches that coach them players and you see the success and the impact that they're having on the team, I think everyone, every football club needs that. If you're a academy player or a youth team player, you need to see other players that you, that you look up to coming mm-hmm. through to make you, you think this is possible because mm-hmm. otherwise it can be, particularly at the, the biggest football club in the world, you can be thinking... I've got no chance here. Mm. But you see the players that have done it and it gives you a massive belief that you might have that opportunity.
0: So you came up and you signed. Who did you live in digs with when you first arrived?
1: So to start with, I just used to come up from the ages of 14 to 16. I'd used to come up on a weekend. I'd finish school early on a Friday, get the train up and then stay in different digs and play, be on the bench for the A or the B team on a Saturday morning then play in my age group team on a Sunday morning, then get the train home. When I left school and moved up full time, I lived in digs with a guy called Jason, who's from Hull, in a terraced house on Littleton Road in Salford with John Lancaster, who was an incredible man. That's Phil Bardsley's granddad. So I lived with him and it was like he he done so much for us living in them digs. Oh, we
0: did a we did a podcast with Phil Bardsley and he said his granddad Well, you were the apple of his eye.
1: Yeah, he did. He certainly liked me. He said, I was a good boy, you see. I used to (laughs) behave myself. I'd be in at the right time every time. But he was, like, what a guy he was. Like, he'd he'd, he'd enjoy a drink. He'd go up to, I think, Phil's dad, run the working men's club, and he'd take me and Jace up there sometimes, and I'd be sort of buying me my first beer, and I'd be nursing that beer for about two hours and still not get through it. But he was, like, what a guy he was. It was, like, an incredible... And I'm sure you're to slap like Them two years as an apprentice yeah. in football is just something that memories that last a lifetime, aren't
2: they? Well, I'm, I was the same. I had to move from Blackburn, uh, from Manchester to Blackburn for two years. And it's, I mean, going to Blackburn is a little bit different from coming from Cambridge up to Manchester.
0: You're still not in your own environment, though, are you? No,
2: no. But I, I, I had trouble with my first digs, they were an absolute nightmare. And then once it settled down, it was, it was like on from home. And I think that's so so important for any kid that's leaving home to be in the right environment, because, you know, it's, it's important you're only 16-year-old and it's daunting at times. It oh, is. you're
1: definitely, I think you are still a, you're still a, still kid, a kid at 16, yeah. isn't it? and I think that's yeah. again where United got it so right in terms of finding them people that they trusted to put the young players into digs with, knowing that they're in a, like a brilliant environment when they finish training and they're back in digs, so obviously you spend so much time there, particularly in that, first year where you've gone full time and your, your body's in turmoil yeah. because you're, you're not used to playing football every day so it was a yeah, wonderful two years that I spent in Littleton Road in Salford which was a complete opposite to the <laughs> little village where I lived in Cambridge but a, like a brilliant experience.
0: You mentioned there how you were very shy uh, before that did you kind of come out of your shell a little bit? And your those two years?
1: Yeah, I was really comfortable in my own like group, my youth team group. I was always still a bit probably scared's the wrong word, but like I'd even like look at the floor when I walked past the, the first team players, and always felt a bit out of my depth. What what am I doing here? But it felt like him, like massive characters like Maisie, who sort of make you feel part of it. I remember being injured once, and like, I'd never speak to any first team, but Maisie taking the time to speak to me and like, just to, to have that, even him. <laughs> do you know what? Somebody
0: else told me a story the other day, Adam Sadler. Do you remember him?
1: Yeah. Sad, yeah.
0: He said, Maisie won't remember this, but there was one time he was walking home with another YTS in the rain and you pulled over and gave them a lift. And they thought this was like the best thing ever. Cause you were a first team player at the time. Aww. Tell you what Maisie. You're a good egg, aren't you? Not bad, not
2: bad. Yeah, wait
1: till the (laughs) podcast goes on. I'll tell a few more stories. I think we
2: should
0: just stop the podcast. Stop while you're winning. It
1: was in your team then. So Shayzy John O'Shea would have been like the the one out of my team that really had a like wonderful career here. He came probably about four or five weeks after Mm. I started because they had different exam times in Ireland where he finished that off. Year above would have been. Wes, Wes was a year above, Richie Wellins, who was a great yeah. player, year below was Weber, Danny Weber, mm-hmm. like was probably the pick of that group below. So it was um, obviously all the players there. Were, yeah. It is a, a brilliant environment. Some talent though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Dave Still Healy as well. Dave Healy was a, yeah. he was a year above, like he was just an unbelievable finisher, one of the best yeah, ob- I've ever it seen. Was.
0: Who was your coach then?
1: So when in my first year it was Eric, Eric Harrison done the, the coaching and then he retired. So into my second year it was Neil Bailey and Dave Williams were the were the youth team coaches. And again, like really Eric sort of put the fear of God into us. It. So it, it probably helped me in my early time there being so quiet. So I didn't wind him up or anything. I'd just go in every day and just work as hard as I possibly could. And he obviously liked that with all the players. So just the fact that I worked hard and that's the bare minimum here, like when you're at Man United, you've got to put a shift in every day and then the rest will follow. Obviously the talent that they perceive or believe that you've got. So yeah, I remember playing a game with Eric, we were playing Marine. For some reason, Marine out Liverpool, we were in the B team league. And I was playing, used to play as a striker, but he put me out wide and out of possession, he wanted me to tuck in, but I didn't really know what he meant because I'm not playing that <laughs> position. I was still there and I could just um, sort of hear in my ear and he was talking to the other coach there and I just remember him saying, is he effing fickle? And <laughs> I but he was like, like an incredible, like a, what a coach he was. And yeah. but obviously different in terms of when, during the schoolboy years, it was like really nice as it were, when you'd go to full time, there's, things that you're made aware of in no uncertain terms because you then you need to learn quickly if you want to get to where the other players have got mm-hmm. to.
0: How special that you were part of the last year group that Eric Harrison actually had here as well.
1: Yeah incredible like, like to think of the staff that I was lucky enough to be a part of and the players that I played with It's it's sort of beggar's belief now in terms of when I think back to them times it seems a lifetime ago, but at the same time, only yesterday. There's so, Some of the memories are so sort of clear and vivid. And obviously to have, to have played under Sir Alex, to have been coached by Eric is an incredible thing for me mm-hmm. to be able to say. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you have talks with Sir Alex Ferguson during those times?
1: When I came up for the trial the first time at 14 and I played the week, like trained for a week. And then the last day we had a game against Nottingham Forest at Littleton Road, played that Sir Alex come in the dressing room and introduce and that was the the genius of the man the fact that he'd take the time Mm. to do that he just ran and knew about every single trialist every single schoolboy player and I got taken done well in the game but didn't know if I was going to get offered a contract or a year or school of excellence forms or whatever and then we were all the guys that were in a hotel got took to the airport or the train station to go home and my mum picked me up from the sort of the village station where I lived and turned around and said to me in the car that Alex Ferguson had phoned her up that afternoon to ask if I could sign for the club. And I thought, she's taking a bit, that didn't really happen. But then like I saw the look on her face and it was true. So that was the first, the fact that he'd, Sir Alex had phoned up my mum to ask if I'd sign, like there was only obviously one club I was going to sign for, but then you understand later, it weren't just me who'd do that for it, it was all the players that he'd take that effort for. And that sort of first involvement with him already. I wanted to run through a brick wall. I wanted to impress him more than anything else in the world. So that was uh, the first involvement. I think as a scholar, you knew when he was in a bad mood because that's when he'd t- check the jobs that we had to do at the <laughs> end. So we'd have to clean the dress room, and he'd sort of wipe his finger. They have a bit of dust there. We'd be there for another two hours, sort of scrubbing and cleaning. But it was um, the sort of life lessons you learn during that time as a scholar were as important as the as a football lessons really. Obviously a lot of the team doesn't get a contract at the end of it, but the sort of the morals and values that they're brought up with mean so much that they can go and be successful in other in other walks of life other than football. So yeah, it was um, obviously with the likes of Eric and Sir Alex, standards were driven incredibly high, both on and off the pitch, which was, again, like worth its weight in gold for a young man growing up. Do you ever implement that into what you do now with your
2: kids coaching?
1: I think it's what I found at Man United, it was always about the player. It weren't obviously the tactical stuff was driven in, but it was how you are as a player, how hard you work, what you're like off the pitch and on the pitch. And that's what when I coached at a height, like in a academy environment, I always tried to to make it about the player. But what we're doing now with a Football Fun Factory is is just what I remember as a schoolboy at United when I wanted to play for Man United because it was so much fun when I went up there and played and I enjoyed it so much. So it's just trying encouraging kids of all levels to just love it first and then whatever happens, happens sort of thing. No discipline then? No discipline? No. Oh, no. No, just a free throw. Absolute free throw. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Especially them five, six year olds.
0: (laughs) You've talked about those two years as a YTS. Tell us then about the next step.
1: Yeah, so when I was um, 17, I had a really strong scholarship, done really well, got moved from being a striker to playing out on the wing and really started excelling in that position because I was incredibly fast. So I could... Sorry to interrupt.
0: Was that because of Eric Harrison then? Yeah. Was think... solely his decision.
1: So it was in the first year I moved out there. We had four strikers at the time. Right. And it was in, with my qualities as it were, were, was always facing the goal rather than sort of holding the ball up. I was a skinny little boy that could run incredibly fast. So Eric and the staff moved me out on the wing and that's when like I really started accelerating my development, got moved into the reserve team, played some games there, trained with the first team a couple of times. And that was like the time where I think it was noticed that maybe I was one of the group that could progress and do something. So I signed a professional contract when I was 17, me and another lad called Lee Roach. Roach, yeah, yeah. Roach, he got called into the gaffer's office and we were both offered a new contract. And I went from there. and Did you
2: actually know before you was going to go to see the gaffer that it was about your contract? Or did you just think, what have I done?
1: Well, because I was a good lad and a quiet lad and Rochi was a Said quiet lad to me. Yeah, out. like a nicer lad to me. I thought, this must be a good thing. Yeah. And obviously still sort of bit wary of going into the gaffer's office. But he offered us both, like it's a completely different kettle of fish now. <laughs> we both just got offered the exact same contract. <laughs> I think we might have signed the same contract. But we, I went from an in... What was it 36 pound a week to 500 pound a week and I was thought flipping heck, I've made it now I was absolutely <laughs> buzzing and sort of signed that contract and then again finished my scholarship and done really well probably that summer I went home and maybe got a little bit too big for my boots went off with my pals to Ibiza probably done drinking whatever doing too much thinking I'd made it sort of thing. I'd signed a professional contract with Man United then went back for the pre-season and again, all incredibly skinny, probably had a little pot belly coming out as well from sort of living my life wrong during that summer and had a real poor start to that season and didn't progress how the club, I think probably would have seen me to progress. So then I was sent on loan to Royal Antwerp in Belgium which really was the probably the making of me of a player, to go and have my first experience playing first team football, playing in front of a crowd every week. And I absolutely loved it there. The atmosphere was sort of typical European. There'd be smoke bombs going off and that That's sort of thing. That. I just, I loved playing in front of a crowd. And that, when I came back from there, I was sort of thrown straight into the the first team squad and in and around it from then, then really.
0: Mm-hmm. How long was your loan period at Antwerp?
1: So the I first went time? I went in the January and played for the whole season and we were in sort of the Belgian second division and we won the league and got promoted to their premier division and then I went back out there the next season for probably 2 months before getting called back right. and going into sort of the the united squad as it were.
0: Did you go with Shazy?
1: To so Shazy would have gone after me, after says he you. would have been probably the next one to go yeah. after I went. I was out there with Kirk Hilton and George Clegg, two other boys of my age, and we was out there. And that was, again, a brilliant life experience, along with being a brilliant football experience as well. But obviously
0: you always wanted to be back here.
1: But it was It was strange, really, because when I went out to Antwerp, I was thinking, like, maybe I'm not going to get... chance at United and I started playing first team football there and like I was doing really well fans were singing my name i would never had that before and it it just felt so good and when I was called back I was actually gutted because I thought I was getting called back to just go back in the reserve team squad because I'd been away for so long so I was actually really disappointed to go back then sort of two days of being back I was in the squad and played against Watford in a League Cup game played well in that game, and then from then on for that season I was like in the squad for the first team every week, which I probably wasn't expecting really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What well, was it like making your debut for United? So I actually made my debut before I went to Antwerp because when the Gaffer played the young lads in the League Cup, oh, right, so we yeah. played at, at Aston Villa and we got – it was a real young team. I think it he, me, Dave Healy, Richie Wellens – Probably a couple of others made their debut. have made his debut yeah. in that game. And we played a real strong Aston Villa team. We got beat 3-0. I remember absolutely buzzing on the pitch because Dion Dublin started for Villa. And he was like one of my heroes Cambridge, growing yeah, up gosh, from his Cambridge yeah. days. Yeah. And then after the game, like obviously the gaffer was sort of saying, it's not good enough. We've got a young team, but we don't come here and get beat 3-0. And although, obviously, was gutted that we lost, I don't know if I was trying to hide it, but I probably had a massive grin (laughs) on my face because I just played for Man United in a 1st team game. So that was my debut. And then I went off to Antwerp when I came back. My Premier League debut was against Middlesbrough here at Old Trafford. And we were winning 1-0, and I came on with about two minutes to go I think I had the ball twice in that two minutes that I was on probably overran it twice because I was so excited trying to run through everyone got tackled but I remember coming off the pitch and I, I remember walking down the tunnel after and Roy Keane walked past me and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said well done and I thought I don't know if he was like taking a pitch I've only played two minutes but it was like just being on the pitch and I'd, like, I probably had a grin I went away after that with straight away with England under-21s. But I just remember thinking, I can't believe this. I've just played in the Premier League for Man United, albeit for two minutes. But it was um, like something I'll never, never forget.
0: Were you still there, Maisie? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Played with Chaddy many, many times.
0: Yeah. Did you play in that game?
2: Did it end up 1-0? Yeah, finished 1-0.
0: You did say you had a few stories about Maisie, but (laughs) keep them clean. Did Maisie help you settle in? I know you said he was a big character, but people like that are sometimes what people need in the changing room to break the ice, for example.
1: Yeah, like Maisie, like <laughs> people like Maisie are worth their weight in gold in terms of that character that you need. And particularly for us young lads who obviously are a bit starstruck, playing with the, like these best players in the world. And there's people like Maisie, Nicky Butt, Ryan Giggs that sort of really make you feel welcome in that dressing room, in that environment.
0: What do you remember? But Luke, whenever he first came, may say?
2: Well, obviously he's a, a, a raw talent, but how quick he was. I don't think there's many players quicker than, quicker than you over 50, 60 yards. Just so quick. And I think it, well, Bex would have been in front of you, wouldn't it? Bex and Giggs on the left, would it? Yeah. So weren't, um, I mean, I should have done better. I should have got both of them out of the team, really. Well, you I? should have done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, just, uh, just uh, a young kid that, full of enthusiasm, and I thought, you know, whenever he came into the first team, he's shown that enthusiasm, and for any young kid coming in, and I'll say this, for any kid going into football, any team, if you show your fight and desire and, you know, your will to win, half the team are already behind you. Mm-hmm. It's when you come in thinking, oh, I've made it now, and this is me, I'm done, I'm Luke Chadwick, I'm, you know, going to be Man United's number seven for the next 20 years. They then players tend to fall by the wayside. But with Chaddy, he had an attitude that shone through more than a lot of players that weren't necessarily probably as good as Chaddy, but you know, they, they always fell by the wayside and fair play to him. You know, he had a successful career, although not fully at Manchester United, but go on and do what he did. Just goes what what great character he is. So
0: he ate PSG a few times on the training pitch?
2: He's
1: just kicked me. There's no way of outpacing him. He no chance. <laughs> he never got past me. I was, you, I warned him. He yeah. got past me again, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to let me go. I kept passing it.
0: <laughs> you did, I did listen to an interview, which you did, and you said you had a problem with your hips and you think that might have affected your speed.
1: Is that right? Yeah, like the reason I was at Man United was because I could run so fast. So that was my ability was I could run as fast with the ball as without it I could sort of beat players and without that I probably didn't develop enough of my game other than that like obviously Bex could drop in get it off the centre half and ping a 60 yard ball to break someone down Giggs he was so comfortable coming inside and playing there I was sort of a one-trick pony might be a bit harsh but I do more or less the same thing every time I got it and had an issue with my hips and we see it resulted in surgery. And it's when I came back from that surgery, I noticed, and obviously the powers that be noticed quite, pretty quickly, that I didn't probably have that extra, I lost a little bit of that. And without that, I didn't, certainly didn't have enough, I've had enough to have a career in professional football, but not enough other than that to sustain a career at, like the world's biggest club or a, a top, top Premier League club. And that's, the manager was completely honest with me and pulled me and said, look, you're not going to have a, without that pace, you're not going to have a career here. And it's going to be real tough for you to have a career at the top level, which is obviously hard to hear, but at the same time, because he'd built up that much respect that you had in him, you appreciate that, that honesty as well. And it, it again, it wasn't heartbreaking to me. It was, I was still excited to see what was there. All I ever wanted to do was, was be a professional footballer. And I consider myself incredibly privileged to have been that, albeit not spending much career at the the top top of the game
0: what year was that then that you had and what was the problem with
1: your hips so that would have been the year after I sort of so the 2000 2001 season where I was in and around the squad it was the year after where the sort oh, of the right, problems okay, yeah. started doing it it was an issue with the bone rubbing against the bone so they had to cut a bit of tendon or that sort of thing I mean I weren't listening that carefully when they said <laughs> it I remember just lying Going to sleep on a surgeon's chair and sort of waking up. Obviously, done all the rehab, but then it was never, never the same as I was before. But which isn't an excuse. There was other things I could have done. I could have developed my game more and been effective in other ways. But probably was so reliant on the attacking defenders and running at them one v
0: one.
1: Did have some highlights, like so, didn't you? For United, scoring at Leeds. Oh yeah, oh some incredible. To obviously score my. First goal against Bradford. When I came on at half-time, yeah. Beck's Part sent me through. I scored with my left foot, which hit a bit of a collector's item. And obviously scoring against Leeds. To this day, I can't believe Nigel Martin, one of the top Premier League goalkeepers, <laughs> had a real poor shot. How he dropped it, I'll never know. But I'll be forever grateful for him that I was in the right place at the right time to tap that in. What was it like playing
2: with those lads? Even though it's not just for a short time, you know, Beck's Keane, Giggsy,
1: Igsey, Yeah, it's like it was almost as if it's pinch yourself every morning that you're going in to train with these world class players sort of day in day out like Skulls was an absolute genius I've never seen anything like he'd had eyes in the back of his head How gigs the way that he was such a Rolls Royce when he was running with a ball My, I used to love playing with Teddy because I could play one twos with him like it was it was a dream come true every day because you're playing of course you as well too, yeah. So, yeah, keeping yeah. it tight at the back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was like to play with them again to to look back now and say that I was part of any United squad and to have trained with him every day was a like an incredible experience mm.
0: Who did you form friendships with during your time when you moved into the first team?
1: So it was like the young lads used to sort of always stick together. So it would have been Wes, Shay Z, Michael Stewart was coming through at the same time, Roy Carroll was there. So it was, we'd always be sat together on the bus playing cards and whatnot. So I remember the first training session, i come back from Antwerp and at Antwerp, I was sort of Top dog, I knew I was playing, I could sort of do as I please, sort of thing. Now, come back and was a sloppy with a couple of fu- passes early on. And I remember Roy Keane calling me every name under the sun. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I stepped into here? But then he's like, he spoke to me afterwards, like, why he does it? This is what's expected here. And like, from him, the captain of the team, it was such a supportive network, a supportive dressing room that you're in, that you sort of, although as a quiet lad, I didn't have great conversations with the guys. I'd still felt supported and part of, of that dressing room.
0: Since retiring, uh, I did mention at the start, you've done quite a few podcasts. <laughs> um, one in which blew up quite massively in terms of you talking about your mental health, because that hadn't really been discussed before, or maybe you just hadn't discussed it before. Um, you talked about how difficult it was for you at times during the nineties. Was, was that the right era?
1: it probably would have been just the start of the noughties.
0: Yeah. So that would have been the 2000s time when you experienced, well, bullying really is probably what it's it's known as. Tell us about that time and what you've spoken about before.
1: Yeah, I think I was quite new during the lockdown period this year. I was quite new to social media where the Football Fun Factory got set up on that and we had a Twitter profile and everything I put on there was just terrible, terrible banter really. And I wanted to put like say something that meant something, like obviously it was a tough time for everyone and spoke about when I was at United and I went through the times of sort of getting fun poked at me on TV and that sort of thing because of my appearance. And I never ever spoke about it back then. And it was just sort of trying to say when you are experiencing tough times, the best avenue is to talk about it and open up something that I wasn't able to do. So what it alluded to was, Obviously, when I broke into United team, and I, I never, for me, it was always about football. I never really wanted to be famous. I just wanted to to play football. And it, obviously, playing for Man United, the microscopes under you massively. And I, it was on the, a TV show. They they think it's all over. Where sort of every week they'd talk about the way I looked, my teeth stuck out, i had spots on my face, and that sort of thing. And it it made me feel so. I don't know. It was it was such a hard time for me because. How old were you then, Charlie? I would have been 19 or 19. 20. And I never I was never brave enough to talk about, it, to say that this is affecting me so much. And obviously it was a, a different era back then where you, you're worried about how you're perceived. And I really did suffer in silence. And I'd, the reason that I spoke about it so many years later was I'd hate sort of other people to to feel how I did back then and sort of deal with that. On your own, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you not able to speak to your girlfriend at the time or anything about I it? Was,
1: I was so embarrassed for myself, for her, even as well that I just, I'd always just shut it away. And if anyone said anything about it, I'd say, "Oh no, it's fine. It's like I don't, I'm not bothered about it." When in reality, I was, and it was, it went on the pitch. Because on the pitch was always the freedom where I'd love just running about, playing football. But off the pitch, it really affected me in terms of I was obsessed by it. obsessed if I went out the house that people would laugh at me or someone would shout something to me across straight in reality I was probably making it a bigger deal than what it is but I think that's what what happens when you're you're not prepared to to talk about it. and although don't get me wrong it's incredibly hard for anyone to talk about their mental health let alone a, a 19 year old boy who's has no idea of what sort of he's got into here but I, in my head perhaps this is it this is what being a professional footballer all about and you've just got to put up with it but like looking back now one thing I should have done was to open up and speak to to people about it
0: but even then you think who would you have spoken to at the time as a 19 year old you're so you're not sure of yourself are you at that age
1: oh no exactly no and like it was like people probably there's probably people at the club like in the youth team would say like have a laugh about it and I'd just laugh along mm-hmm. with it and that sort of thing. There'd probably be someone who'd say, You're right about that, and I'd just say, It's fine. I like, don't get me wrong, I didn't expect anything from the club. Like, if I would have spoke to the club, I'm a hundred percent sure I would have got full support, but I just wasn't confident enough in myself to talk about it, which I don't think any other 18, 19-year-old boy would no, have done when you're talking about your personal appearance, because in your mind it's something that happens in the school ground, which is something you should be able to laugh off, but in my, I was so defenceless to it. There was nothing in my head that I could do about it. And I was just so desperate and desperate for it to stop, but it just went on week after week after week. So it was um, like a real challenging time for me. It's a horrible time, isn't it?
0: It's so different nowadays. I'm sure you're glad to see that too when you look at young players and think hopefully they won't go through the same experience as what I went through because people do talk more and that is from people like you speaking up.
1: Yeah, and I think it, there is avenues now and it is, I mean, when we were growing up, you're a bit older than me, but yeah. when we were growing up, like mental health, it wasn't even spoke about. If no. you moan about something, it's it's seen, it's pull yourself together, get on with it sort yeah. of thing. Now there is such more opportunity and avenue to deal with it, but at the same time it's still just as hard in my mind to talk about it and it takes real sort of bravery and real emotional intelligence to to talk about it yourself but I think in terms of back then you wouldn't talk about it but there was no social media back then like now the players get all sorts on the social media and that sort of thing so there's still challenges to overcome as there always will be but the the improvement in terms of avenue to help with mental health is getting better all the time but there's still so much that needs to be done to help not just football players but life in, life general, in general really yeah.
0: would you say that period has st- still scars you really
1: no i think not really you i think, think I, now I've, that
0: you've spoken about it it's been a big weight off your shoulders
1: yeah i mean i think i've spoken about it in the, like not put in the public domain but i think it was something that I'd got over sort of thing in terms of moving away from Man United and just being a bit more relaxed, more confident in myself. So I don't, it's not something I look back on now and think, I wish that hadn't happened because everything that's happened in, in all our journeys has happened for a reason. And we've been able to, to learn from the tough times as well as the good times. So it's, it's something that I probably shouldn't have had to deal with, but unfortunately did. And, but because I've dealt with it, I think it's probably, made me a better person and the person that I am today.
0: A reminder as well, we say it all the time in this podcast, Maisie, don't we, that footballers are just human beings and people are very quick to forget that. And although there wasn't social media back then and people talk more about mental health, social media sometimes makes that very difficult for players nowadays too because people can just say whatever they want on there. Maybe it's not on national television, but at the end of the day, footballers are human beings
1: without a doubt yeah and I think what social media does allow people to do for the fans who maybe see when we were playing back then just players as robots really yeah. you never hear from them or anything apart from a TV interview now you've got that opportunity to show your true self that, but obviously there's massive negatives from it as well I think in my case the fact that it was on national TV don't get me wrong I'd have got nothing against them people and I'm sure if they knew I'd like to think if they knew how it was making me feel at the time that they wouldn't have done it so it's there's obviously pros and cons to everything that's put in the, mm-hmm. the public domain, but it's um it like, the the main message that I was always trying to get, and I don't I don't consider myself a big star or someone that people listen to, but I think the more oh, well, that you've we, got, you've got a voice on one of the biggest platforms in the world, yeah, and if we like if, thing. if we can talk about things a little mm. bit more, it does like for me, it's made a massive difference throughout my life being open to that vulnerability that I think seen in football is seen as a weakness when in reality, it's probably the the greatest strength that we've got to be vulnerable and allow, us. because yeah. you don't want to just smile over everything and say you're okay when you're not, because things tend to then build up and build up and build up.
0: Very, very honest from you, Luke. Thank you for sharing that with us. So when you look back, you were at the club, uh, there was a history making squad there, the 99 team. Do you look back now and think, how special that was. I'm sure you do nearly every day, actually, whenever I say it out loud.
1: Yeah. Like to have been in and around it at that time. To be a youth
0: team player at that time. It must've been so exciting.
1: Yeah. And it was, we, um, we all went to the FA Cup final, obviously when the, the club ple- beat Newcastle, then the, the, that's about what Manchester United is all about. Then every member of staff at the club was flown out on chartered flights to Barcelona to watch the game and, meal put on for us and I remember just being there and like we was behind the goal that end where Teddy then Ollie scored the winner and it was like it's obviously makes the hairs on your back of your neck stand up today and then Maisie leading the celebrations <laughs> on the end. <laughs> was she one of the was you one of the lads who went out
2: for a beer in Barcelona? So we So went out because we had Shades on a few weeks ago and he spilt the beans already so
1: Yeah so we there was like, must have been about 15 buses with United staff and we all went to a restaurant down by the, the quayside or wherever it is at our dinner. And then, we went and had a, like a quick beer before getting the bus back. And when we came back to the buses, our bus had gone. So there's no way there. So we ended up getting absolutely steaming. Ended up on the underground in Barcelona. Like all the lads jumping up and down. It was organised chaos. And I thought I'd lost my ticket. and I couldn't find it anywhere. And one of the lads had nicked it. I thought I was going to be stood outside. But yeah, it was so certainly a memory that I'll... I'll never forget. I mm-hmm. think I was hung over by the time we were sat on the flight coming home later that night.
0: <laughs> Obviously then going into the following year, you were part of that squad more or less. I know you made the trip down to it, but you were part of and in around that squad. Did you realise what they had was so special? Like what was it about that squad looking in?
1: It was like, it was so in every day in training. Like the training was harder than the games. Like it was, everyone wanted to, to win, everyone wanted to excel, everyone wanted to work hard. And when you've got a group of people all doing that, it's like, it makes it special. It's a, a special environment. And like I would, every day I'd be exhausted from just being in and around it and trying to strive and keep at the levels of these players that I'm training and playing with. Chaddy, you mentioned about training
2: and stuff like that. Was there any occasions when um, you actually missed training? I believe
1: you did. Oh, yeah, he's set me up. Set me up for a fall is isn't well, you?
2: Well, you know, it's just the lads previous on the podcast has mentioned it, and just how we get your version of it.
1: Yeah, so how the story goes, I was in Belgium the year before, and that was the year that Big Brother started. And in Belgium, I could only get BBC One and BBC Two on the telly out there, so I missed like the big thing at the time, Big Brother series one I missed it so I made sure when I was back in the UK that I weren't going to miss a second a series two so what happened was I got probably a bit too much into Big Brother and was watching all of it like every Channel 4 show but then also on E4. You
0: wa- don't tell me you watched the live one.
1: I'd watched the live feed for hours on end just so I'd be the first to know if anything happened. Don't look at me like that it's... <laughs> somewhat so it's, it's, it's actually on mute as well though isn't it no it goes on mute if they're saying something that ah, they shouldn't right, okay, be saying so, right. so like if you're lucky you'll hear them snoring while they're sleeping that's, oh, all that. that's
2: brilliant so I've
1: got like I've got quite an addictive personality and I was just addicted to watching it so I was probably you know, a little flat in sale I was living in big telly that I bought with some of my bonuses from <laughs> the United <laughs> Games and I was just enjoying Big Brother and I, I think I was just watching the live feed and it probably got to about three in the morning. Probably no one had said anything for about two hours, but I was just waiting for that moment for someone to say something. I've obviously fallen asleep. My missus was um, working at Manchester Airport working shifts and she come home at 10.30 in the morning the next day and woke me up. And I said, like, she went, Luke, what are you doing? is not you a bit of training? And I've just like looked at my watch all the time. It's 10 foot training. You needed to be in for yeah. like half nine. And my heart just sank, I thought, what have I done? Big Brother's really cost me a hit. And I absolutely, sh- I didn't have a clue what to do. So what, what I've done, and I'm still ashamed of it to this day. <laughs> I phoned my mum back in Cambridge and said to her, I don't, are they going to sack me? I've missed training because I'm watching Big Brother. I don't know what to do. So I took my mum, phoned Carrington, like cafe on the desk yeah. at Carrington and, and said, I told her to say, phone up, and say Hayley's had an accident <laughs> and i have taken her to the hospital <laughs> again. I'm ashamed I said this. And I said, nothing serious, just say that it's an accident.
0: So Hayley is your girlfriend Haley's at the my time. Girl, yeah. wife
1: now, yes. Yeah, so so then she phones me back and says, yeah, I've told her, she Said she said like they sounded really worried, like I hope Hayley gets better soon. And I said, oh, f- thank God. But, so I've gone in the next morning, made sure I didn't watch Big Brother, went in at the right <laughs> time. Turn around that corridor to go to the dressing room. First person I see is a gaffer. Like he's never even down there. I can't believe like he's there. And I've made like made eye contact. And he's like he's looked at me with concern in his face, saying, "How is she?" <laughs> I mean, oh my god, I've got I've gone too deep again here. I've oh got and I've said to him, "I said it's, she had a full gaffer." I said, <laughs> I said it's, it's, it's her wrist." I mean, it's all right though. I go it's not broken <laughs> <laughs> and I've got like I'm thinking so then because I, like, I'm absolutely hole? oh, the hole's getting had deeper had you not
0: thought it. about this scenario before you went into training oh I'm
1: just trying to save myself so you're essentially just
0: thinking on the I spot I don't think it,
1: like, I don't think anyone's going to ask me like I think it's just going to get brushed under the carpet and that but then the first person I have seen the gaffer and the gaffer said it so then uh, because I'm absolutely I can't even drive I'm 20, 21 years old I'm not even passing a driving test so Hayley my wife has to take me everywhere i go go and she always goes to the games so she can take me home after so and she goes into players lounge <laughs> after so I've, for the next like three or four weeks I've made her wear a TV grip. <laughs> On her arms. So if if anyone quizzes and we've got the story like all together saying like she slipped in the kitchen like there was wet so, like, I'd spilled a cup of tea. She didn't know like, we've got the, gone so deep into the story. So yeah, that was um obviously not something I'm extremely proud of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. Have anyone ever asked her after that in the players lounge
1: no. I like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've just gone too I'm worried so much and I've got her worried as well she's like look I forgot the tube grip so we're going to have to turn around we need to get it so then she'd keep the tube grip in her handbag so we got to Old Trafford to just pull it on oh. yeah it was a uh, bad time oh. was worrying worrying time the, the one thing oh. I remember saying to like, get home oh, there it's alright so it's not broken <laughs>
0: Oh, my cheeks Sword. Does he know that story, do you think? No, probably
1: not. I, I hope not. I sincerely hope not.
0: Oh, that is actually so funny. I bet you've never told a lie like that ever since. No,
1: no, it taught me a valuable lesson. Yeah, because you got yourself
0: Like, you could have just phoned and said you were sick.
1: My head was doing somersaults. I had no idea the what to you do. actually ring your mum up. <laughs> I was almost in tears when I phoned my mum. I didn't know what to say about it. Like, I thought that was it. I'm getting sad. Like, contract terminated. Big Brother's cost <laughs> me a career in football.
0: I want to know why you never got on Celebrity Big Brother. You would have been an ideal candidate.
1: I would have absolutely loved it. I mean, I.
0: What was it about Big Brother that you loved so I much? I don't know. It was
1: just like sort of the the challenge, the human mind of how yeah. it works locked away. I mean, I'm obsessed with the programme.
2: <laughs> you said so it now. It's finished. It stop, I, I don't do I, it
1: anymore. But you watch every episode on. Not like that was a year. like I had to sort of sort myself out after that. I had to go and speak to someone. To- <laughs> 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 oh, I can't even think of an next question
0: so <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus, that's Uh Look, you did mention when your time at United was up, but what was that conversation exactly with Sir Alex?
1: So it was just a case of, like, the gaffer pulled me into the office, sort of spoke about the pace that I'd maybe lost a little bit of and the effect, and I I could see it quite clearly that I weren't having the effect that I was the season before, that it was time to to sort of move on. And then it was a case of the best way of doing that. Like, the club looked after me incredibly well in terms of, obviously, I was on a, a good contract at the club and they found me loan moves to move into other clubs and that sort of thing. So it was a it was a case of just sort of transitioning then of finding a, a different path for myself in professional football away from, from Manchester United.
0: And did the club help you with that move or how did that come about your move eventually? Obviously I know you had a couple of loans, but you eventually moved on to West Ham?
1: Yeah, so the first loan I went to was Reading. I remember sort of there was probably one of the probably the gaffer had a go at me probably twice in my career at at Man United and that was one of them because he was keen for me to go on loan to to Cardiff with um, Lenny Lawrence, who was his mate, was their manager. I had the opportunity to go to Reading and Alan Pardew had spoken to me. My my missus was sort of eight months pregnant and although not incredibly close to Cambridge, Reading was a little bit closer to Cambridge than Cardiff so I wanted to go there and the gaffer was sort of pushing for me to go to Cardiff. And I remember playing in a reserve team game against Man City and having an absolute stinker. And there was a lot of clubs there. watching. him, and I, the next morning he had the ump with me anyway because I'd played bad in that game. And I said, "I want to go to to Reading." He said, "You ain't going to Reading." I, 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 <laughs> he goes, "I want you to go to Cardiff." And I said, "I want to go to Reading." He goes go to reading then but we ain't we're not gonna pay yet so like I was on, I was out like I didn't know what to do like I still couldn't drive missed in the car outside waiting to drive me down to Reading where I'd arranged to go and meet sort yeah, of yeah for the bandage on to meet Alan Pardew. so I just like the gaffer didn't want to speak to me and I was clear so I just got in a car and I thought where am I going? Am I driving to Cardiff? Am I driving to Reading? So I ended up driving down to Reading got down to Reading sat with Pards in his office and I said like I'm not sure what, what's going to be happening here, Pard's because the manager said that he don't really want me to come here. He went, "It's all right, I'll phone him." So I'm sat in the office. I'm thinking, "Please God, do not pass the phone to me." <laughs> so uh, Pard's on the phone to the gaffer. The gaffer, Pard's face has just sort of dropped a little bit. And he, I can hear a voice, and I'd like the girls having to go of buds for me being there in the office. <laughs> so he like comes off the phone. He went, he goes right. The manager said you can come here, but they ain't going to pay you anything. So you can, you, I'd love to take you, but you'd have to take half your money. So I, like I was on a good con, and it was never, it was never all about money. I probably weren't as interested in money as I should have been, but I've sort of said because I'm so scared, I thought I'll give up half my money for three months just so I don't have to go back and face the gaffer. So I ended up signing there on half my money and then going, and I, I was still thinking, then Haley gave birth to um, Lewis, our first child. And that's when I got a bouquet of flowers come through and it was signed from Sir Alex. And I'm thinking, thank God he must've forgiven me for that. So then at the end of the season, I went back and like the gaffer pulled me in and he, like, he was saying like that, The fact that you want to play football, that's incredible sort of thing that you've done there. And then the next season, he asked me to go and loan to Burnley because Stan Turnham was the manager and that was his mate. So I said, yeah, because that meant I could keep all my money as well. (laughs) But yeah, so I went to Burnley the next season on a season-long loan.
0: You played nearly every game there as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah, so that was when... That's when that was yeah, yeah, me and Maisie both <laughs> was at Burnley together. I'm not, sure, R-
2: I'm not sure the gaffer was Stan's mate, but Stan was certainly the gaffer's mate, because every morning he kept showing us text messages, I had the gaffer on this morning. I had yeah, the gaffer yeah, on this morning. Oh, yeah.
1: That? But do you remember the time? So a we're... A, but like thing. it's a... It's a funny dressing room and things got out of hand every now and again in the dressing room. And I, do you remember when I got my hair bleached? So I've got my hair bleached and the manager at Burnley has gone mad and he goes, what are you doing when you look absolutely f-? Stupid! I said, I like it. And he goes, I'm going to phone the gaffer. And I thought, like Mason said, I think he's not going to do that, is he? He walks back in the dressing room and he's got the gaffer on the phone. He went, here, he wants to speak to you. So he gets on the phone and the gaffer's going, what have you done? He goes, I want you to go back and get it tied back. I said, I can't gaffer, it's not going to work. But again, even though I'm sort of out of the club, I'm still absolutely so scared of what he's going to say. But it was um, like the Burnley season, though it's good to play a lot of football, but at the same time it was... um, like incredibly, yeah. It was it um, an incredible season in terms of the banter. So, uh, Ro- Ro- did Roachy come with you as well at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so me and Ro- sam- signed permanently, right. and I was on loan for the season. So we used to share share the lifts in. But yeah, it was um, <laughs> share lifts. Certainly an entertaining, it's entertaining. Sorry
0: to go back to it. Did you actually say I can't die? That's
1: not going to work. <laughs> yes, I don't know what I was saying. I just paid seventy quid getting tired, I'm paying that good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Oh God, I, seem to, so like, I seem to like. I seem um, to make mistake after mistake. <laughs> you don't even seem
0: like a controversial guy. No, no, no I, just, you
1: know, I just always get in awkward situations. I can't believe Stan phoned him. I, I swear blind, you always say, "Oh, the, gaff, the Gaffer's text me," and he's like,
0: "No, he ain't Stan. So. He
1: ain't text you at all."
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think is I this, <laughs> he is on the
1: phone for it.
0: Is this? Was it when you were up Burnley that you two shared a few blue WKDs or I, that-
2: never, I, I never I <laughs> never drank on the back of the bus but he'd get absolutely smashed and Roachy would end up driving him home <laughs> yeah. It, yeah that's when he came out of his shell for the first time
1: yeah it, I think it, it was like obviously the Red in, then going to Burnley like United it was always you're under the microscope so much obviously when you sort of drop down it's a bit more Relax and Burnley used to be like proper old school. We'd get um Chippy He was the a captain it, and yeah. we'd get like Chippy and then the gaffer would shout, Maisie, go and get some beers for the lads and then I'd shout over to Maisie, Give me two of them big blue WKDs and we sat at a bus at the back of the bus getting up. So then we played home Crystal Palace and I was like steaming it at the back of the bus and Stan and Sam the like the managers there and I didn't play and i say, gaffer, why not play today? And then he's like the gaffer, what I see drinking their mess <laughs> yeah it was um, it was incredible like, a, like it was such a great bunch of lads when yeah, it was a it was a real good laugh funny
0: oh that's so funny so when that loan period was over did you come back to United just I suppose, to say goodbye, that kind of thing, rather than thinking you were coming back.
1: Yeah, so I still like had a year left on my contract, so I came back pre-season, ended up actually going to America on tour because a lot of the players had been at the World Cup or the Euros or something like that, so they were shorter players. So I went there, and then it was while I was in America that I, um, the offer came through to go to West Ham. So as soon as I got back from that trip to America, I was down to West Ham. What was that like? Yeah, it was good. It was good for me because obviously we, was, we were still in Manchester. Yeah. We'd had Lewis, our eldest. So then we we moved back to Cambridge, lived to, with my mum. Like it was great, obviously for the little and yeah. growing up to be with us and to be back around sort of family and friends. And then I'd travel into West Ham. It was a like, it was a good a good place to be was in a championship. Ended up getting who was the manager pro- then? So it was Pard Alan Pardew right, again. So okay. Pardew got. When he left Reading, he got the West Ham job. So it was him that took me there as well. And obviously good to to be, that he knew me. And you were on full wages then? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I was on full wages for So Mind you, they didn't pay me that much. (laughs) Should have asked for more in hindsight.
0: (laughs) How did you feel you were looked upon as other players when you went on to make further moves? Because everybody has a reputation as a Manchester United player, as being at the pinnacle. Did, Did you feel that when you went to other clubs, that people thought that about you?
1: Yeah, I think once you've played for Man United, it you sort of it, it does you a great favour yeah. in terms of finding other clubs and maybe sat on a pedestal. And that that how I am as a person. Like in terms of, it, it never crossed my mind of being big time or anything like that. So it, like, I've made really good relationships with like all the clubs that I've been at. I, it were not an issue, but every, like everyone wanted to know about Man no, United. No, but, they're, but
0: they're bound to be as a level of respect. Well, he's played for Manchester United.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think th- there is that for players that have, that have been to big clubs but then at the end of the day you're all at that club then for yeah. the same reason that you're at that level. So it's important to obviously let that go in a certain extent but use the lessons that you learn as a Manchester United player to try and improve the, the club that you're at wherever way possible.
0: You've been up and down the country. You went to Stoke then after West Ham. Then you went to Norwich. Then Milton Keynes obviously we spent most of your time. So you've been kind of up and down the country there, haven't you?
1: Yeah, so I was was more than happy at West Ham. Probably the worst thing that happened was them getting promoted to the Premier League because then they go out and signed Yossi Benayin, who played the same position as me, and unfortunately for me, much better at football than me, which meant I was surplus to requirements. So then throughout my career, I never wanted to be somewhere just to be there. I always wanted to play. I wanted to be a footballer. So then the sort of the move happened to Stoke, done well in the loan and then moved up there permanently, moved the family up there and probably didn't settle again and wanted to be back home. So then went to, to Norwich and I was absolutely buzzing about going to Norwich and made my debut against Ipswich, like the big East Anglian derby, scored, all the crowd singing my name and then at the end of that game I got knocked off the pitch, cut my knee open, which ended up me being out for nine months what? because of the like micro, like it was, I've sort of, the shepherd shepherding the ball out and you know like a big strong yeah. lo- lad like me yeah, can yeah, yeah. usually do that effectively but the guy's <laughs> coming to the back of me and I've sort of gone off the pitch and the first thing I realise is I'm winded so I'll get that back then my shoulder which I had an issue with had popped out so I popped my shoulder back then one of the lads come up behind me said don't look down so more automatically I look down and my knees just sort of gaping open with the, the bone wow. sticking out and I end up going to hospital I'm in hospital for two nights and I don't play again for sort of seven, eight months. So the, the move to Norwich sort of, and to be fair, I was only on loan there, but they'd promised to sign me permanently, which they'd done, like looked after me properly, but it just never, after that start and being injured, it never worked out there. Then went off to MK, which I sort of told my agent to speak to them because I just wanted to settle at home then and Cambridge was, not far away from Milton Keynes so I could live at home and like I was really settled there and really enjoyed my time at MK mm-hmm. Dons.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that because obviously you spent the most time out of your career at, at any club that was at MK Dons. Is that where you felt most comfortable then?
1: Yeah, it was like the kids were growing up. It was a lovely place for them to to go and watch football in a nice stadium. The the fans really liked me, the staff really liked me, had a great relationship with the players probably had opportunity to jump back into the championship and play a little bit higher but at that stage I was I was just happy content that I was enjoying my football and I, I didn't want to move house anymore I'd sort of been mm-hmm. charging around the country for the last seven eight years and I was just settled and happy to stay there really.
0: Uh, when did you finally get the driving test by the way?
1: done it when i was 21
0: right because yeah, last time i heard she was still that, that was in an automatic car round. as
1: well in fact i think i've told a lie today i think when my missus was eight months pregnant and she was waiting for me out in the car i could have drove down to Reading, but i got <laughs> her to
0: <laughs> and when did the moment come then that you thought this is the end of the footballing career
1: so my legs were—I could tell that my legs were tiring out a bit. I was suffering a bit with the hips, and so I, my dream was always to play for Cambridge United, like I alluded to earlier. They're the team that I supported. They're the reason I wanted to be a footballer. So I went to to MK, spoke to the manager, and said, "Look, like I could stay here another two years, but I'm not—I'm not at my best. This is this is my dream. This is what I've always wanted to do." And to be fair they respected that I'd done well for them and they looked after me so then the move to Cambridge came about where I sort of ended my career and had the opportunity to to live out that dream that fantasy as a young boy of playing at the Abbey Stadium where it all started the love of football so it was like a nice a nice way to end my football playing career.
0: Was there any aspirations of coaching at that stage what did you think you wanted to do?
1: Now, n- never any aspirations to coach. I weren't, like, I always used to be one of them that couldn't stand that side of it. It was, I didn't know what to do. And like a lot of players, my career was sort of coming to an end with no plan. How oh, old I would have been 34. 34, yeah. There was no sort of plan of what I wanted to do. I think in your head as a player, you think, I don't want to think about it because I'm going to jinx it and then it'll end. And it was um, coming to the end at Cambridge, I went down the coaching Qualifications went down that path to put me in a position to to have a job at the end of football because I'd never really thought about what I wanted to do really.
0: Just before we finish, anything else that you lied about back in the day to Sir Alex Ferguson that you want to put straight now? This is your opportunity.
1: No, not he, does, s-
0: he does watch every podcast. Yeah. So if you want us to edit that whole story out.
1: I want you to edit everything that I've said about the gaffer then.
0: <laughs> Just about the... Um, the wrist. What do you call it? Tuba grip.
1: Tuba grip. Yeah. I was the goop. We've the... got to keep
2: that in. That's in. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking now if I said that it was broken and I'd have had to make the plaster of Paris stuff myself and put that over a wrist.
0: <laughs> Listen, it's been an absolute it's pleasure. We've wanted to have. In fact, we've tried to get you on a few times, but it's just not really happened. But
1: well, oh, there's busy schedule isn't it. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to um, see you both have a, good a chat. Good to, have to see you again pop
2: So, Helen, what do you make of that? I said it would be funny.
0: Oh, my word. My cheeks hurt so much. I don't remember the last time I laughed that much in a podcast. No, Can you?
2: No. Probably, I, I think you'd have to go back probably to Quinton doing the,
0: yes, the London Marathon. 100%. That's how much it made me laugh. But
2: yeah, I knew it'd be funny. He's a, he's a top lad. He really is.
0: Did you know that story before about?
2: Not the bandage? No. <laughs> the no, bandage. certainly not. We we'll need to come brilliant. up with
0: some sort of name for this story.
2: That's class. Tuba, that's so funny. Tuba
0: grip gate.:
2: Tuba grip gate. That's oh. the one. Yeah.
0: All started from Big Brother. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Were you a Big Brother fan, Maisie? Oh,
2: God, no. I can't watch that garbage. No really? chance. Oh, no. I did
0: like it, but I wasn't one of these ones that watched it, you know, when it was live all day no, and all night.
2: No, no. Just when it's gone dark and it's three o'clock in the morning. No, certainly not.
0: Maisie, did you ever miss training or were you ever late and had to come up with some sort of ridiculous story like Luke?
2: Do you know what, Helen? I actually was... I actually did miss a, a day's train. Now, I never panicked as much as what Chaddy did, but there was a time, um, it's where I live now. We only had one one key for the house, and I actually got locked in the house. Yes, yeah, you've I'm a told me this. At the did time. you
0: climb out the window?
2: No, because there's only little windows, and the last thing I wanted to <laughs> look like I, I don't know. Robbing the outside of the house because generally robbers go in the, through the window. So, yeah, I actually rang uh, Dave Fever and said, Listen, I've been locked in the house.
0: And what was his reply?
2: Uh, That's
0: fine. Like,
2: <laughs> well, what, what would you think? He said, Right, I'll tell the gaffer that you're something along the lines. We'll make, we'll make something. It was only at the beginning of the week, maybe a Tuesday. So, mm-hmm. we'd have had Wednesday off. So, mm. I said, I'll come in tomorrow so and do some do running bad. stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm. Should we do some emails and tweets Yeah, sure. Maybe? Yeah, fire away. One from Running Richard. He said, a superb podcast with Rio Ferdinand was such a great insight into what was one of our finest centre-backs. All he cared about was winning. He's a forever red. The Robbie Savage story in the tunnel was funny. Great work again. Thank you very much indeed, Richard. You did enjoy that story, didn't you, Mason? Yeah. Uh, Scott Slingsby said, catching up on the podcast, Tim Howard is my new favourite, came across very well and thoroughly enjoyable. Up next, Giuseppe Rossi. I think you will enjoy that one too, Scott. That's it, guys. Maisie, thank you as always. It's been a pleasure. I hope you feel better soon. Oh yeah. No, I'm sending the listeners, guys. All right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Maisie, I hope you feel better soon. Thanks,
2: mate. And uh,
0: get some cold and flu remedies into you.
2: I've just been to Boots and you can go to different chemists, but um, uh, Boots was the closest one. So I loaded up on uh, cold stuff.
0: Good. Cold and flu stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Not cold (laughs) stuff.
2: Yeah. Got a lovely ice pack now.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much for listening, guys. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk. That address is in the notes for this episode if you need it. Also, a reminder that you can watch the box set of all of our episodes on the United Podcast on MUTV. New episodes air there every Friday. Or you can find us on the app as well. Yes. So many, so many places to find That's us. That's it, yeah. Thank you very much indeed for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
2: See you later. See you later.